0: In the study of the life of Jesus Christ, as we're getting very, very close to the end of the earthly ministry of our Lord and moving into the last week of the life of Christ, which we'll get to in just a couple of weeks, really. And uh, here at the end of the life of Jesus, there's a lot of teaching going on. There's a lot of public discourse, a lot of uh, uh, sermons, famous uh, messages that Christ preached or lessons either to his disciples or to the Pharisees. And we'll look at one of those here in just a moment. It is great to see. We've got an exciting day ahead, lots to do. And if, well, before we get into the message, I want to uh, welcome a new member into our fellowship. I just want Tom Little down here on the front, if you don't mind just standing. If you can, if, you don't, if you're not able, that's okay. You can just raise your hand so we can see you. And uh, we appreciate Tom. Tom's been uh, coming around a while. And I was able to visit with Tom this week. Tom has a a testimony of faith in Jesus Christ and has uh, been baptized. And he's been with our church some and some of the outreach events that we've done. And he just uh, wants to be a member of River City Baptist Church. And I'm thankful for that. We're welcoming you. I need a motion to receive him into membership. Made second. All in favor say amen. 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 Welcome, Tom. Let's congratulate Tom. Welcome to the family. It's good to have you. Amen. Tom loves the Lord, and he loves to see people reach with the gospel, and I'm excited about that spirit uh, continuing to increase in our church, and uh, what a blessing, right? And there's a lot of that kind of talk we're going to do today. Before we get into all of that, uh, at the end of the service, I uh, hasten to share God's word with you this morning. So if you got your Bible open there, Luke chapter number 18, we're going to read beginning at verse number 1, Luke 18, beginning at verse number 1, where the Bible says these words, then he spoke a parable to them that men ought all, uh, excuse me always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. Lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. Or what does this parable mean? And shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them. I will tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, And the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this, tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God... Be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and everyone, or excuse me, he who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. This is God's word. Obviously, when you read this text, the theme of these two parables is prayer. And I want to remind all of us this morning that prayer matters. And we're going to look at some prayer matters today as we open up God's Word. My favorite relatively modern historical figure is Dwight L. Moody. Some of you may have heard of D.L. Moody. He was certainly a famous... Uh, evangelist in the late 1800s died actually in 1899. Uh, after the third great awakening in our country uh, back in the 1800s, it kind of birthed what became the modern mass evangelism movement. Uh, really, D.L. Moody was kind of the beginning of that, and then you have people like Bob Jones Sr. and many others leading into even more modernly uh, Billy Graham and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, etc. And Moody was an extraordinary person. I've read every biography that I'm aware of that has been written about him, I've read them. And I just was always fascinated by the simplicity of who he was and the power with which God used him. He had about an eighth grade education. He wasn't very uh, smart. In fact, on one occasion, uh, a seminary professor had D.L. Moody's sermons read by the class. And as they read the sermons, he gave a project and he one of these people in the class to pick out and point out everything that was wrong with the sermon. And boy, they tore that sermon upside down and one the other of all the grammar mistakes and all the different things that were wrong with the message. And at the end of the class, the teacher wanted to quickly remind them that that sermon preached by D.L. Moody was a sermon at a crusade in which thousands of people came to Christ. He was an unusual man, a very gifted man, a very godly man. In fact, his ministry never started as the itinerant traveling evangelist that we all know him as he actually became a Sunday school teacher open chicago after he moved there from his hometown of massachusetts he uh, began to work really in his own church was a sunday school for children and it wasn't long before moody had hundreds and hundreds and thousands of children coming to listen to him speak and many of them of course became believers in Christ, and his reputation became well-known. He also did significant work uh, in the Civil War um, among the soldiers, and God just used this guy in a great way. Ultimately, he was able to travel and do international evangelism and really was greatly used by God to both preach to America and to England and Europe. On his very first trip to England, he was invited to speak there And when he arrived there and began to speak at the church he was invited to preach at, he began to sense a very unusual move of God. He was very unknown, nobody knew who he was, and yet people were coming to Christ and the work of God just seemed to be exploding in this little town. And he was curious, he asked the pastor of the church that had invited him, uh, what was going on, had they been experiencing Uh, This kind of awakening prior to him coming. And the pastor in this conversation said, you know, I think I might know what is going on here. And he invited Moody the next day to go down into the city there and to make a visit to one of the uh, parishioners and their daughter. This was a a woman in the church, was a single mother that had a 15-year-old daughter. When they arrived at the house... Uh, Moody And uh, Moody was told by the pastor that, that this girl, this 15-year-old girl, was handicapped. She'd been bedridden her entire life. And she laid in her bed all for these 15 years and was a very sweet kid but, but just had a lot of physical issues. And Moody and the pastor walked in the house, and they greeted the mother. And Moody asked if he could, or the pastor asked if they could go see the girl. I can't remember the girl's name. They walked up the stairs, went to the bedroom where the girl was, and they began to visit with her. And they began to talk to her. And the pastor said to the little girl, would you mind showing Mr. Moody what you've been praying about? And so the girl reached behind her head, underneath of her pillow... And she had a folded up and crinkled up newspaper article from the United States of America that had a record of the work that D.L. Moody was doing in the churches and among children in the United States. That girl saw that about three years prior. And she folded up that newspaper article and she stuck that newspaper article under her pillow. And every day she would pull that newspaper article out. And she would pray that God would send D.L. Moody to England, and that when God sent DL Moody to England, that God would use him there among the churches and among the children just like He did in America. I believe that stuff, folks. I believe there's a God in heaven that hears and answers even the prayer of a handicapped 15-year-old girl in some obscure neighborhood in England. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that the same God that hears and answers the prayer of a 15-year-old handicapped girl in a little neighborhood unknown by others can hear her prayers and he can hear and even answer your prayers too? Is not Jesus in the scripture the absolute picture, precedent of all of those that would come after him to pray? Think about it. Mark chapter 1 verse 35, Jesus rose up early in the morning while it was still dark and departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 23, and afterward he dismissed the crowds. He went up to a mountain by himself to pray. Luke 6 verse 12, in these days he went out into a mountain and all night he continued in prayer to God. Luke 5 16, but he withdrew to desolate places and prayed. Then of course in the garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26 Jesus went with them into a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed again. For the second time, he went away and prayed, and again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving again, he went away and prayed the third time. Our Lord Jesus was, in fact, a man of prayer. Not only does he give us this precedent, but he also gave us a number of promises associated with prayer. uh, Not the least of which is Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given unto you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be open to you. Six promises of answered prayer in two verses in Matthew chapter number 7. Matthew, or excuse me, John 14, verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. First John 5, 14, this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything, come on, anything according to his will, he will hear us. Are you listening to me today? What I'm trying to tell you is that Jesus gives us a pattern. A clear pattern of prayer. And then, on top of that, he's going to issue to us promises. This is what I will do to those who call upon me. Jesus Christ also gave us a pattern of prayer. How we're to approach God, our Father... In heaven, would be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I think this morning it should not take anybody in this room long to agree with me today that prayer matters. No question about it. I think the question we all have to ask ourselves is this, does it matter to us? And in the final days of his ministry, among many other things that he is going to teach, he's going to once again loop the circle and park here to teach his disciples and those who would be listening about prayer. And in these two parables, we're going to learn two simple lessons about prayer, okay? Not going to get much easier than this. Not much to put on your outline this morning. It's just two things, okay? We learn, first of all, that prayer must be offered with importunity. I believe if you look at verses 1 through 8, we're talking about prayer request. If you're looking at the rest of the the, the next parable, verses 9 through 14, we're looking at prayer and confession as it relates to our requests, meaning what we bring to God as our needs. The lesson that is taught in the first parable is a lesson about importunity, or we might say urgency, or we may say repetitive or continual prayer. Folks, listen. We are to pray without ceasing. And i, and I got to tell you, I know that there's oftentimes a misunderstanding about what pray without ceasing means. It certainly doesn't mean that you're supposed to stay locked up in a prayer chamber all the time. Otherwise, we couldn't even be here today. You couldn't go to work. So pray without ceasing, I think, has predominantly to deal with an attitude of prayer or a propensity toward prayer or leaning in to prayer when we Whenever and however any need is presented to you. In other words, praying without ceasing has more to do with your response to whatever life gives you rather than that you stay locked up in a prayer closet somewhere. I'm simply saying to you. That church, what God would teach us in his word about prayer is that our continual, repetitive, and ongoing response to any and everything that is going on in our life is that we should pray. And Jesus here, in verse number one, is going to give us a parable, and he tells us right from the beginning what the purpose of the parable is. He says, in verse number one, he spoke the parable that, for the purpose of, that men would always pray and not lose heart. Or they wouldn't give up in prayer. And I just want to challenge you today, friend. There's a lot of things that you might stop doing in your life, good and bad. But let me tell you one thing that you cannot afford to ever lose heart in, and that is in your prayer life. Every single person has to dig deep, has to be reminded in and of themselves often that we cannot lose heart in prayer. it's very easy to do, isn't it? Sometimes our own flesh would cause us to not continue to pray. Sometimes the, the 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 longevity of a prayer unanswered can grind on and wear you down. Friend, I just want to encourage you this morning. There is good reason, there is ample reason for you to not. Let off of the gas pedal of your prayer in whatever you might be praying for today. It might be one year, it might be five years, it might be ten years, but I'm here to tell you, there is a God in heaven, friend. I'm telling you, there is a God in heaven. It might take a long time, it might take a short time, but never leave believing that your prayers go unheard and unanswered because there is a God in heaven who does hear and answer prayer. And if there's nothing else that you get today when you walk out of this room, at least walk out with a little joy in your heart saying that's right pastor I've got a God that hears and answers my prayer and therefore I'm not going to quit we're introduced in this particular parable to first of all two people that present with us a problem the two people that are presented in verses 2 through 5 are first of all a judge and the Bible says there's a judge in a certain city and notice particularly what is true about this judge It says here, there are two things about this judge that were real problems for people like this widow. It says, first of all, he did not fear God, and secondly, he did not regard men. And by the way, those two things go together. People that do not fear God do not care about others. In fact, you'll see a circle around in the second parable today, the same thing's true of religious people. Oh, sometimes we think that it's just unreligious people who you might find not caring about others, but we also find in the second parable there was a Pharisee who was so religious and so spiritual that he was more spiritual than, uh, than, 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 than God, or excuse me, he wasn't even spiritual enough to care about people that God would encourage him to care about. So friend, you don't have to be nonreligious to not care about people. It just so happens this particular judge did not know God and therefore did not care about People and then we're introduced to a widow, and the Bible tells us in verse number three that she was a widow in the city and she came to this judge with a problem. The problem was she had been wronged by an adversary. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what happened or who it was exactly that did whatever they did to this widow, but here's what we know in the Bible that widows were particularly vulnerable in the New Testament times. We know even in the Old Testament there were texts like Exodus 22 and Isaiah 1 and Isaiah 10, Ezekiel 22 and Malachi chapter 3 that that point out the fact that when a society goes bad, one of the things that go down first is the society's concern for its elderly, particularly the care for people who cannot care for themselves. Widows in the Bible were people, and today obviously, who had lost their husbands in this day and age, uh, it may not be as severe oftentimes as it was in this day because the society was so patriarchal, so, so man-centered, if you will, that, that, that oftentimes a woman, when she lost her husband, she lost literally every sense of security that she had. There were no major life insurance policies, and oftentimes there weren't uh, other means of care. The means of care was that God's people would take up the hedge and make up the difference that the husband lacked by dying, and it was fascinating how God took care of these people. However, and oftentimes God's people would neglect them, and it became a very, very, very serious problem. So when God says there was a widow who needed something, the people would have perked up and listened because widows were particular objects of God's care, and rightly so. Here's a woman who had been uh, who had been wronged or defrauded by an adversary. It could have been anybody. Could have been a neighbor, could have been a relative, could have been somebody she didn't know. Likely, she was financially taken advantage of. And now, because nothing could be done, here's what she does. She goes to court. And she goes to court, and she presents this case before the judge. In fact, uh, in verse number 3, it says, she came to him. The wording there, she came to him is in the present tense and ongoing uh, uh, verb, which means she kept coming to him. And we know that. Because in verse number four, when the when the judge actually responds, this is how he responds. He responds by saying, "I'm going to do what this woman wants because less. Watch it here. By her continually coming, she weary me." The point of this parable should be obvious. The point of the parable is that here is a man that doesn't know God and doesn't care about people, and he is willing, here not only here. But actually answer a woman just to get her off his back. Now let's look at verse 5 and let's hear, I love this, hear what the unjust judge said. What does that mean? It means, here's the lesson. Here's the lesson. What is this parable speaking about? What is the unjust judge saying to us? Here it is. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? I'm going to pause there. And say this, in this parable, church, you should be like the widow. You should be coming to God. So in this, par- in this parable, there's a parallel between us and the widow, but there is not a parallel between the unjust judge and God. The only thing that is similar between God and the unjust judge in this story is that both of them were in a position to help the person in need. But here's the great news. Where the unjust judge treated this woman like a bother, like somebody that he didn't care about. He completely disregarded her. The Bible says, aren't you glad that God will take care of, watch it, his own elect. The word means chosen ones. His children, those who know him, those who have, those who have, he has has brought them under his care. I love the old gospel song. Uh, uh, day by day, it says the 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 care of his child in treasure is a charge. Watch this is a charge that on himself he laid. Y'all better tune into what that just means right there. You better tune into this fact: God is your father. You are his child. You're not a pesky widow that he doesn't care about. Are you following me here? You are his child. And God doesn't view you as someone coming to him being pesky. In fact, look look at the next phrase here. It says this. It says, uh, uh, he, he hears their cries day and night to him. Watch it. Though he bears long Now that sounds a little rough, I think, in the reading. And I think the English Standard Version says it, that he patiently listens to them, which I really like that. Basically what he's saying, doesn't God take care of you? Listening to you cry night and day while he patiently listens to what you're saying. Now I don't know about you, I'm not a perfect parent. I'm sure you probably are, but I'm not. And when my kids sometimes are going into telling me something serious, I, I, I can't have a tendency of kind of getting distracted and not really following through, particularly when I'm dealing with Brent and Adriana because, Lord have mercy, those kids can talk. I'm telling you, sometimes I like, get, I like get zoned out in another world. There's just so much information coming and I can't even get a word out. But when Adriana was little and she would go on one of those things where she's just talking. I think I told y'all this before, one time I took Adriana on a trip from Los Angeles to Kansas City, it was just me and her in a car, and we were driving through Denver, Colorado, and we got on this stretch of road, and when I looked down at the clock, we just started the day traveling, it was 8 o'clock in the morning, the next time I looked at my clock, it was about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, 5 hours, 5 hours straight, she talked, I have no idea what she was talking about, I, I thought... I, I I I took an iPad, I loaded it up with Disney movies, I thought that was going to cover it, didn't cover it at all. She just talked and talked and talked and talked, and, and I had literally no clue what she was talking about. I still don't know what she was talking about, and it happens. Sometimes I just... Get zoned out. When Adriana was real little, when she was just a little girl, and I would do that, and she'd be talking to me, and i kind of like start thinking about something else or kind of, you know, reading an email off the corner of my eye or whatever. She would reach up, and she would grab my face, and she would turn my face to her. <laughs> hey, listen, that's what the widow had to do to the judge. He didn't care what she was saying, and she kept coming up to the bench and Grabbing his face, saying, look, I need help. And finally, he got tired of his cheeks getting pinched. (laughs) But you want to know what the second application shows? Is that God is the exact opposite. Friends, listen, you don't have to reach up to God's precious face and turn his head towards you. When you're crying out day and night, when there's something on your heart, listen very carefully. He is patiently sitting there, hanging on every word you say. I got a phone call this week. I'd been praying about something for really about a year. Constantly. Constantly. And very little clarity on the whole thing. And I got a text and it said, Hey, I need to call you. I got something I want to share with you. And although the final answer has not come, I listened to this phone call and I was listening to what is essentially direct answers to prayer over a specific thing that me and this brother had been praying about specifically. Things that will have direct impact. And I mean, I hung up the phone and I was preparing the sermon. I was thinking to myself, thank you, Lord. Once again, and that's not the first time, friend, you don't have enough time here today for me to start talking about all the prayers, come on, that God has answered the kinds of things that I could tell you for sure. He did. I know he was there. I know he moved a mountain. Come on. I know that he made that fig tree wither. I know that he made the withered fig tree bring forth fruit. I know it was him. And there's nothing you could do that could convince me that it wasn't like that because God hears and answers prayer. So, you must pray with importunity when you make a request. But number two, in the next parable, we're going to kind of flip the whole script. And I recognize that although this particular parable may not be directly about prayer, I think, I think it could be a toss-up. Prayer is certainly there. And there's something that I want you to see here that I think is so important. I think there's a bigger issue of just generally what it means to approach God. But obviously and directly, there is something going on here related to prayer. And it says here in verse number 9, he also spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And, and it gives this parable. And it's one guy coming to pray and another guy coming to pray. One is a Pharisee and the other is a tax collector. And I want to say it like this. Please listen very carefully. Both of these men were sinners, but only one knew it. Only one knew it. Now, which one are you? And the second thing that you need to see about prayer today is we must approach with humility specifically when it comes to confession. Hey, when it comes to asking, you do it with importunity. You don't stop. You don't give up. When it comes to confessing, you do it humbly. Now, the first guy looks to have it all together, but he was the most messed up of them both. And i got to tell you, boy, about how often is that just the truth? Anybody else getting tired of everybody just looking like they're okay? In fact, he prays to God in that text. He prays. He, he comes up and he stands. And he, he, the Bible says, I love this, he prayed with himself. And do you know he says I five times and only says God once. How many of y'all see a problem there? He's bringing his resume to God as if somehow that's going to impress God. I got a question for you today, friend. How could God be impressed with your resume when he also has the resume of his son, Jesus Christ, set right beside of yours? This is fundamentally the problem with religion. And I think, obviously, the primary message that Jesus is getting at is to those people who consider themselves to be righteous and also despise other meaning. They had a religion, but they did not have a relationship with Christ. And I want to say to you today, that is the first and primary emphasis that I want to make to you today. Here's a man that came to God, and what he presented to God... Was my goodness, my works, how I pray, how I give, what I do, how much better I am than other people. And i got to tell you, that may be the most unwise prayer in the Bible. Folks, listen. When you come to God like that, you're going to get turned away every single time. God resists the proud. But gives grace to the humble. And I know sometimes because of the culture we live in, because of bad teaching that we've heard maybe in times past, we almost get this idea that you're on a merit system with God. As if, I had a pretty good day today, so I could probably pray now. Listen, friend, please stop. You're not on a merit system with God. That's not how God weighs it all out. By the way, how many of you glad, if that's the way it did work out, you'd be in real bad shape anyways. I mean, can we at least admit that? But religion blinds you to that. Religion doesn't make you think that. Religion makes you look at what you do and makes you feel like you are worthy. And friend, I want to tell you, that's not the way it works. There's one difference between what Jesus did for us and what we try to do for ourselves, and it's two letters. What we try to do, D-O, is in no comparison to what Jesus had. D-O-N-E And religion is, is, is about what I do And Christianity is about what Jesus has already done And for now, I just want to tell you If you're coming to God If you're trying to come here today And you're trying to get in a relationship with God Based upon what you do You're in the wrong business here That's not what this is all about You will get turned away In fact, Jesus said The second man was justified rather than the first one And you would think that it would be opposite You would think that God would look at a guy who gives who's all cleaned up, who compared to the tax collector is a pretty good dude. And you would think that somehow God would be impressed with that and God would say, yep, I'll take him rather than him. That's not the way Christianity works. In fact, Isaiah chapter 59 says it like this. Our righteousness is as a filthy rag. On your best day, the best day you've ever had in your life, you are like a discarded towel. Yeah. Then I love this second boy. I hope you identify with him more than you identify with the first guy. Amen. He won't even come near the place of prayer so humbly, he stands as far off as he could possibly get and still maybe be qualified to even be in the prayer area. He stands afar off. He's nowhere close to the front and center. He stands afar off, and he doesn't have a big flowery thing to say to God. No, that's not it at all. He stands back there, and the Bible says he's beating his breast. Can you just get this picture? He's just humbled before God. He's just beating his breast, and he's just saying, God, I love this. Be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, I know there's some debate and some discussion about whether there are sinner's prayers in the Bible. You can help yourself to that discussion all you want to. I'll tell you, there's a sinner's prayer in this chapter for sure. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And if you've never come to that place, then you never accepted Christ as your personal Savior. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now listen, friend, you don't have to have it exactly right. There are no magical words. There's no magical card. There's no magical formula. But I'm telling you, fundamentally, it better look something like this. God, I need mercy mercy, I'm a sinner, I've broken your law, I'm undone, I'm guilty, Before, oh, I need covered, I need forgiven, I need to be justified, I can't do it, so I'm asking you, Amen. and that's essentially what you got here, one guy thinks he deserves it, another guy knows he doesn't deserve it, and the second guy goes justified rather than the first guy, how about that? Several years ago, I was preaching in North Carolina, and I, I, I for those of you that are new, I, I used to travel and preach a lot, and, and so I was, I was in this eastern North Carolina town preaching, only been there maybe once. Got there, and am preaching on Sunday morning, I'm preaching on the crucifixion. I'm, I'm looking out at the crowd, and, and there's this dude over here on my left, and he is a, he's a rather tall guy, and he's got a big old shiny ball head. He just kind of stuck out like a light bulb over here. He was just there. And, 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 and I watched as the sermon progressed, and I watched him just, God was speaking to him. And he was sitting up straight and tall, and then after a few minutes, he's kind of leaned over. He's kinda, he starts reaching up and rubbing his head. Before long, I noticed his bald head's turning red. He's sweating. He's rocking. And I'm like, my goodness, man, I don't know what's going on over here. But I was getting really excited because I was getting ready to present a gospel invitation. I was going to invite the man to Christ. And uh, sure enough, we start singing like we're going to do here in just a minute, inviting people to come to Christ. And this guy, as soon as we started, he stepped out of his seat and he walked right down the aisle. And I was getting ready to go shake his hand and talk to him and get him paired up with the counselor. But oh no, he didn't stop at me. He just kept going. There were doors like this in the front of the auditorium. He just... Almost ran right past me, off here to my left, your right, and busted out like that door right there and was gone. And I was like, whoa. And he was weeping when he left. And man, I I just thought, well, that that was was unusual. And we kind of finished the service up. Usually as a guest speaker, I would always go out into kind of the lobby area in the back of the church. So somebody took me out there. The church had not been dismissed yet. I'm standing out there with one of the leaders of the church who had taken me out there to shake hands with people. When I got outside in the lobby, no joke, I heard behind me, in kind of like a drive-through drop-off area between buildings, I heard somebody like moaning and groaning like they were, like they were wailing, like there was, like they had lost somebody or something. It was, it was bizarre. So I turned around, and I looked out that glass, those glass doors, and there was that big old tall dude. And he was... He was outside in the parking lot, right outside the building. He was he was doubled over like he was throwing up, but he wasn't throwing up. He was doubled over, and he was just, he was, we call it squalling. Anybody okay with that? That's what he was doing. That's what he was actually doing. He is crying. He is He's literally crying out. And over and over and over again, this is what he kept saying, through tears, as much as he could get out. Oh, God. I've got to see the preacher. Oh, God. And, it, I mean, it is. It's like intense. And I'm thinking, he's going to come and shoot me. That's what I thought. That's like, my first reaction was like, I'm the preacher, and I don't know if I want to go get involved in all this mess. But, but there, there, was a, there was one of the deacons with me, and the deacon, I just stood there, the, I said, man, I'm what are you just going to talk to this guy, and, and the deacon goes out, and... And, and puts his arm around the guy, and he keeps saying it. He doesn't, he it's like he didn't even stop. It's like he didn't even acknowledge the guy was there, but he did start walking with him. Again, church has not been dismissed yet, so now I'm in the lobby, and pretty soon, the door's open, and these two guys now walk in right past me, and he's still doing it loud, uncomfortably loud. God, I've got to see the preacher! And he just goes, it is intense, but he wasn't talking about me. He was talking about the pastor. So that deacon took that man to the pastor's office, and the man got saved. But here's the interesting thing. That man had been having some very serious marriage problems. And weeks before this, the preacher had had some tough talk with him. In fact, the man was cheating on his wife. And the last time they met, this is what the pastor told me, and and I believe it because he's kind of a tough dude. He said, I stood up from my desk, and I slammed my fist uh, on the desk, and I pointed my finger right in this guy's face. And I said, sir, if you don't quit that, she's going to leave you. And I'm going to tell her to. I'm not saying that was right or wrong, but that's what he told him. And the guy left. He was math, obviously. And then he came that Sunday morning and heard about the cross once again. And it just broke him. He got saved. I kept getting messages the next year from this guy. His name was Jamie. The next year I went back. I spoke at the Christian school. Another event. Stayed for Sunday. And the pastor called me and said, Hey, Brian, we got a special treat for you. On Sunday after church, Jamie, the guy, wants to have you over for dinner after church. I said, man, I cannot wait. And so I did. I went to church. I preached. After church, we drove out to this beautiful property on a couple acres land. Beautiful two-story white house. Amazing place. We parked in the garage, walked in the kitchen area, and Jamie greeted me with a big old giant bear hug and thanked me again for the ministry that God allowed me to have with him. We then crowded around their table and this was this was my favorite part of the whole thing. I looked down at the head of the table and there was Jamie, the head of his house. He reaches over with one hand and grabs a hold of his wife's hand. They were together. He reached around the table and held the hand of his oldest daughter and there were three girls down the other side of the table and I just I just sat there and listened as this man led in prayer in front of us and and before his family. And I just thought to myself, thank God for what Jesus can do in somebody's life. You want to know why? Because he humbled himself before God. And when God got a hold of his heart, he didn't come saying how great he was. He came saying how broken he was. And God rescued him at that very moment. Friend, when you are at your worst, God is at His best." And don't come religiously thinking that God owes you something because you're good enough to get it. That's not how this works. And what about you, Christian? What about whenever you do something wrong? Do you try to justify it? Do you try to explain it away? Do you try to blame your wife, your circumstances, how busy, how tired that you are? and that? Or do you just come to God just like it is? God, this is me. This was stupid. I did this. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have said it. I shouldn't have been there. I shouldn't have walked. Whatever it is. I shouldn't have done it. And humbly bring that apology and confession to God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You could stop hiding this morning. You could stop trying to act religious this morning. And you could actually come and get the help you really need when you humbly confess your sin before Christ. And if you're here without Jesus this morning, it's as simple as this. You are a sinner. Separated from God. And that's true of everybody. I'm not just singling you out, but you are included. And because you your sin, the wages of that sin is death, separation from God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God commended or demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's a gift. He died, he was buried, he rose again the third day. And today he offers salvation to anyone who will simply believe upon him and call upon his name. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, listen, you will be saved. It's a promise. And it's the very first step to, of coming to Christ and salvation, then becoming his disciple. If you've never done that, I pray today will be that day. Church, do you have something that you need to keep on praying about? An area of confession that you need to make so that your Christian life can be restored to its full usefulness. May God help us to understand and believe these prayer matters this morning. Let's pray together.